0: We'll To us, without them, everybody. Today, we are talking about leaf, and I am I'm ready to go, Stephen. I want to hear your theory right now. Yes, <laughs> from, from last time. Okay. What What the heck are these leaves? No, I'm just kidding. We can start with the music because <laughs> I always fine. jump. At, I always jump ahead <laughs> to, to the mm-hmm. lyrics, but we should start with the music. Okay. Um, so because there's I'll, a lot of cool stuff going on yeah, at the beginning absolutely. of this of this track.
1: So there's something interesting about the. Transition from "Time Me Up" and Tie Me" into the beginning of "Leaf," that is unique on this album, and that is that both songs are in the same key, so there should have a, be a feeling of of really natural, easy flow from one song to the next. And to some degree, there is. The way that's accomplished is through some kind of interesting sounds, right? That are that are so at-
0: reverse reverse guitar. Yeah, yeah. They they play the guitar and then they run it in, in reverse to get that.
1: There's that Beatles yeah. reference again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's some, some neat, um, studio trickery at play to create these interesting timbres, yep. uh, that, that create an environment that really sets the tone for the beginning of the song. Yeah. Um, but the thing that makes it sound distinctly different than tie me up on timey, even though we stay in the same key from one to the next. I think is at the end of "Time Me Up" on timey Me" is this really intense, um, like driving figure that goes from E to C natural to B natural down yeah. to E. Yeah, and we talked about that.
0: Yeah, I'll make the sounds. Yeah, my At
1: the at the end of the last episode, right? We talked about how just how heavy and how intense that feels.
2: Yeah, and as soon as
1: this track starts. Uh, that C natural to B natural half step tension just disappears, so the the, the C goes yeah. away as a note, and we lose that. And so actually, the then the, the sort of sonic palette of this song ends up landing still in E minor, but with with almost no half steps at all. It's all it's very open feeling. Yeah.
0: And, oh. Oh yeah. So, that's true.
1: Kind of takes the pressure off of where the last song ended. Yes. Yes. And you, yeah, I
0: definitely hear that in the riff because the verses are just that riff, just a mm-hmm. riff being played mm-hmm. over and over and over again on repeat, and it does feel very kind of open, um, yeah, like you say, and and dancey too, like the yes. way that the Oddly, beat is, yeah. It's it's
2: like <laughs> you're hearing dance music in the other room, in a sense. Oh, that's so, yeah, a good like, way of
0: putting it. Yeah, this is really
2: cool. The past two tracks have had this nice, not the past two, the previous two to Tie Me Up and Tie Me, had this kind of nice, like, a moment of rest, especially 1979 has a moment of, like, reflection upon, you know, at at the end of it. Specifically to reflect upon that line, but I heard somewhere there was a cure for useless eyes. Yeah. And then we get this nice kind of like lull moment of contemplation. And it's like we didn't get that at the end of Time Me Up and Time Me, but we do at the beginning of Leaf. And so that, yeah. for me anyway, creates a sense of movement that we really noticed last season. Yeah. And yeah. is kind of continuing in this album in a sense too, in, in a more subtle way.
0: And all I was going to say is that, um, you know, just to comment more on the danciness of the song, is that yeah. uh, Ricky's beat before the verse starts is almost like a break beat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a break beat being uh, like the kind of drum beat that like a hip hop artist would sample from like a soul song in the 70s, where like there's a break in the song where you just hear the drums playing yeah. something. Um, you know, that's how rap beats were made back in the day. And, and what he's playing. Sounds like that. Sounds like one of these, like kind of breakbeat sort of, uh, sort of things. And and he, I mean, this is not the only place in the catalog where he, where he does this. Um, but it's like a really kind of like funky beat that you know kind of gets you ready for the rest of the song
1: yeah and it's Mm -hmm. interesting to contrast that with say the beginning of torches together which has this like cheerleader like pep rally beat to it (laughs) right um to this one now it just sets a different mood uh yes more more than i think any of the stuff with like oh is there a c natural in this or not like the drums are really doing most of the heavy lifting for creating a tone that's where it's kicking right
2: which I, you could probably say is true across the board for this album. Like there is that danceiness, despite all of the other stuff that's going on. Like you could dance to just about every song on this album, except for the last couple. And yeah, that's uh, that's super interesting how they were able to achieve that.
1: So, uh, to get into the first verse... Tony wants to read it... Yeah? I guess, and then I'm I want to read something in response. Secret reference. Okay.
2: If you fail to see a problem, which I find hard to believe, or if you're hanging from the branches licking honey from the leaves, you say, the hopelessness of living and the childishness of suicide, that there's a call to love my brother that can never be destroyed.
1: Yeah. So interestingly, as a side note, there's there's some lyrical variation between what Aaron actually says in the recording versus what's printed in the liner notes for this. Yeah, I don't think it makes a big difference. He says if you're hanging on from branches rather than hanging on the branches, I think is what actually comes across the recording. Mm -hmm. And then um, in the liner notes, it says there's a call to love my brother that can scarcely be denied which hmm. is a better rhyme, but, but yeah. maybe not as good a parallel. Um, the word destroyed is stronger there. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. But we can discuss the content after I read you a quote, which is the answer to my annoying punt last week of not <laughs> refusing to talk about the leaves <laughs> then and saying, okay, in the song leaf, here's what's going on with licking these leaves. Uh, because we get it right again here at the beginning right? it's -hmm. it's a weird image and you get it two songs back to back these two songs in the same key there's already things that make them feel like a pair this is uh, of course from Tolstoy's confession from 1879 of course thus says Leo there is an eastern fable told long ago of a traveler overtaken on a plane by an enraged beast Escaping from the beast, he gets into a dry well, but sees at the bottom of the well a dragon that has opened its jaws to swallow him. And the unfortunate man, not daring to climb out lest he should be destroyed by the enraged beast and not daring to leap to the bottom of the well lest he should be eaten by the dragon, seizes a twig growing in a crack in the well and clings to it. His hands are growing weaker and he feels he will soon have to resign himself to the destruction that awaits him above or below, but still he clings on. Then he sees that two mice, a black one and a white one, go regularly round and round the stem of the twig to which he is clinging and gnaw at it, and soon the twig itself will snap and he will fall into the dragon's jaws. The traveler sees this and knows that he will inevitably perish, but while still hanging, he looks around, sees some drops of honey on the leaves of the twig, reaches them with his tongue and licks them. So I too clung to the twig of life, knowing that the dragon of death was inevitably awaiting me, ready to tear me to pieces, and I could not understand why I had fallen into such torment. I tried to lick the honey, which formerly consoled me, but the honey no longer gave me pleasure, and the white and black mice of day and night gnawed at the branch by which I hung. I saw the dragon clearly, and the honey no longer tasted sweet. I only saw the unescapable dragon and the mice, and I could not tear my gaze from them. This is not a fable, but the real unanswerable truth intelligible to all.
2: You've done it again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah.
1: So, uh, okay. So there's this funny fable uh, that he says isn't a fable um, in, in Tolstoy. <laughs> and, and and this is where he he lays the whole story out. But he uses it as a recurring theme throughout the book, as the predicament of life that people are in. That mm. basically... Um, you know, you're going to die. If you go back, you're going to die inevitably because you run out of time. If you just go forward. And so all you have is this moment of hanging desperately on to this flimsy thing being gnawed at by mice. (laughs) And the only pleasure you have is a couple drops of honey on that leaf.
2: (laughs) Well, man.
1: Okay. So that frames what Aaron's (laughs) thinking about in these couple of songs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, so there, there certainly is, so that you know, we've talked a little bit about existentialism mm-hmm. before, right? That's a very existential image, right? This idea essentially that like life does not have any inherent meaning, right? All we can do is give you know the life, you know, later twentieth century atheistic existentialists will talk about the absurdity right? The concept of the absurd that like it's when we're confronted with this meaninglessness, all we can do essentially is laugh, right? I mean, we talked a little bit about this with Vonnegut, um, but also like famously Albert Camus or, or someone like that. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. and there's, there's a kind of a similarity, I think in Tolstoy's image in that it's like this utterly hopeless situation yeah. essentially. And, and, you know, in some ways, it's almost it's almost more pessimistic even than <laughs> someone like Camus, which is saying something. Uh, I think um, you know because even in the myth of Sisyphus, right, which uh, is a book by Camus where he's mm-hmm. he's interpreting uh, this Greek myth about Sisyphus, who's condemned to roll a rock up a hill and then only to have it roll back down. And he has to do this like for the rest of his life. And Camus argument in that book essentially is that like, even in that you can make like all the only choice Sisyphus has is to find meaning. That's it. He Mm -hmm. either can die or he can find meaning. That's it. Right. And but like Tolstoy's, I mean, the meaning here, the the few drops of honey are, that's, I mean, that's pretty sparse. Yeah. In terms of like just the way that that was – the way that he phrases it, you know, that there's not much there to um, to go on. And I think that – I mean it seems that this, this has to be a reference to Tolstoy, right? Because the next line is you say the hopelessness of living and the childishness of suicide,
1: yep, right? Yeah. That's
0: those two choices, yep. right? That are – neither one is – good right that all you can do is hang on from the branches and lick honey from the leaves until you fall and to
2: look way forward to forward letter part two there's the line telling me the only purpose of me being here is to stay a bit longer Mm -hmm. like just to keep on clinging on to that branch
1: right yeah yeah wow hmm Hmm. Well, and there's, I mean, fast, yeah, fa- fast forwarding even farther, I've got the sound in my head, um, the, the honey's still sweet in my tongue. What, what song is that? Is that a Brother, Sister?
2: Yeah, uh, Nice and Blue Part 2, I'm fairly certain.
1: The the I guess
0: the ray of hope here, right, yeah. at the end yeah, yeah. is that there's a call to love my brother that can never be destroyed, mm-hmm. right? So that right. cannot be ended by the hopelessness of living or the childishness of suicide. Yeah you know, that, that's the thing, right? And then that's the, the purity of heart, right? The, the the one thing to want, right? From the chorus is this, uh, is this idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And just so we don't miss it. All of that is put in contrast to another option, which is the first line of the song. If you fail to see a problem, which I find hard to believe or, and then there's all this stuff that follows. Right. I mean, so and mm-hmm. and Tolstoy in, in his book gets into this, that there he says that there probably are people who actually don't find themselves in this predicament, but it's only because they have like refused to really see what's going on.
2: Well, that They're, takes me back to Kierkegaard. Like, yeah. those are people who are stuck in the aesthetic. Yeah. They just don't even. I mean, we all know people like that. They're like, why are you asking these questions?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> just um,
2: fall in line to whatever dichotomy it is that you're, you know, whatever framework you're being told to fall in line to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, and to, to, and who knows, I mean, who, who, who the you is he's, he's addressing here. Um, we've posited some possibilities of him talking to people within this, whatever faith community. And, and I don't know if that's really necessarily appropriate at this point, or if it's just a generic you to the audience or whatever.
0: Yeah. If I could, um, Make a reference now to my uh, literature of choice. Yeah. <laughs> for this album, uh, I think that there, I'm going to have something to say about the love song of J. Alfred Proof Rock uh, for this song and for Disaster Tourism. Oh, there are some similar uh, images, but um, so this song is in part, I think, about the futility of Aaron's fame. Right, because mm-hmm. however much I strut around, however loud I sing, the shining one inside me won't say anything. Right, that his fame, essentially, you know, his his um, ability to perform as an artist is not um, reflective of his faith somehow. Yeah. yeah, right. Which I think for so many me without you fans is like, wait, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Like, I mean. You know, we we've talked about the fact that Aaron has said like no one should see him as their spiritual guide, right? right? But but I think so many people do like through his through his music, like at least the the kind of narrative persona, right, that yeah. is in the songs has acted right. as a kind of spiritual guide. But you know, but he's saying here that it's not um that essentially that is meaningless, and it just it reminds me of these lines in the beginning of the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock um, where in between uh, you know, he, I'm going to save the, the discussion of, of the city and this yellow fog that is coming, you know, rubbing through the the streets because I think that that is going to work uh, very well for disaster tourism. But there's these two stanzas um, that are quite famous actually from, uh, from this poem um, in the Room, the Women Come and Go, talking of Michelangelo. And what that is a reference to is the kind of futility of, uh, like, interpreting art. It's kind of like, it's intended to um, to raise this image of, like, kind of meaningless babble, essentially, about art that, like, you know, there's uh, people try to be profound and talk and say things that are meaningful and it's just um you know it's kind of a sexist image of course Mm -hmm. um you know but it's just meaningless sort of like gossip essentially that that doesn't land you know and then and kind of around those stanzas the narrator Mm -hmm. is saying things like uh you know uh, in And indeed, there will be time to wonder, do I dare and do I dare? Time to turn back and descend the stair with a bald spot in the middle of my hair. Uh, he's talking about, in that stanza, what we talked about last time with this idea that he's afraid he's going to grow old and die this mediocre nobody, <laughs> right? Yeah, right? And, and Aaron, it, so it's an interesting kind of like juxtaposition, this like the meaninglessness of the, of trying to sound like a profound artistic person.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and the, the futility of even daring to try, right. To say something profound. I mean, it's, it's very, um, (laughs) it's very striking. I mean, especially because I think T.S. Eliot is considered to be like one of the most profound, uh, English, uh, writing, uh, you know, poets um american poet but um but yeah um and so writing english yeah right right. yes yeah that's (laughs) what i meant yeah although people sometimes i mean he was an expat who lived in england and took on like a very british kind of affectation um when uh when he lived in england but but still um right uh yeah i mean there's like you know, how much you, however much you talk, however well you talk, you make a certain sense, but it's still only stupid talk, right? <laughs> There's this kind of, it's like the exact same sentiment. And then followed by however much I stood around, however loud I sing. Like, it doesn't matter. It's futile. But I think the difference is that, you know, the narrator of, of The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock is concerned about this deeply, right? He doesn't want to die immediate you know having had this mediocre existence, Aaron seems to only be concerned about that one thing mm-hmm. right yeah. the shining one mm-hmm. inside me saying something right that that yeah. his life be reflective not of some kind of like artistic profundity but of uh, loving his brother which mm. I think is a very sweet and nice and humble uh, sentiment.
2: Yeah, he's almost being torn apart by that. Like the, I mean, his day job is strutting mm-hmm. around, yeah. singing loudly, talking yeah. stupidly in his own eyes, and yeah. he just wants to go to that simple, soft, sweet, humble thing. Yeah.
1: So so then the the pursuit of his art mm-hmm. then, which is the very medium that we're experiencing all this through, is the very thing that is denying him the one thing that he actually wants or wants to want, as the case may be.
2: Right. Yeah. Wants to want is a good way to phrase it. Yeah.
1: Which as as we've kind of meandered our way to this chorus by way of T.S. Eliot, I mean, now we land back most unambiguously on Kierkegaard for yeah, all right. the endless yeah. talk of him last season. Yes. yes. Now we but- have the chorus of this song, which is literally <laughs> just the title of a Kierkegaard book. <laughs> yes, so great. Basically. So great. <laughs> yep.
2: Um, well, another example of the distorted lyrics, which to me, given where the trajectory of where our conversation is going, yeah. just seems to be piling more onto this Possibly self-talk, possibly calling out to a higher power. Oh, to want one thing, like make me want this one thing. Make yeah. me pure of heart. I just wish to be this. Yeah. Let me be the thing that I want to be, please. Yeah. Um. Do either of you have anything to say about uh, that character card work, which I have not read full. I I've not read it either.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I've, I've read half of it. Um, and I'm working through it this season and I'll, I'll finish it. And if by the end of the season, I have something else to say, I will, um, I can say something really simple now from the first half of the book, which is, uh, what the one thing is. That's pretty significant. I mean, so, okay. So the, to, to frame all this, this is a a book by Soren Kierkegaard called purity of heart is to will one thing. Mm -hmm. So the way that that gets translated in English is will versus want, which is what Aaron uses in these lyrics. I don't think that distinction needs to be split hairs over for no. our purposes. I think want probably just sounds better to say into a microphone. But uh, in, in the book itself, Kierkegaard is perfectly clear what the one thing is, which purity of heart leads you to will, uh, which is in Kierkegaard's words, the good. I don't know how far that gets us down the road. I mean, <laughs> philosophy has always had an interest in, in defining what the good is. Yeah. Um, and Kierkegaard goes to great lengths to, to talk about why that is the only thing that can be purely and simply wanted. He basically says, if there's anything other than the good that you want, then you're double-minded and you, you actually want multiple things. So if all you want out of life is honor then you'll do whatever it takes to get honor from people. So what you really want is like all the different means to, to gain that honor for yourself. If yeah, you really just right. want to be wealthy, what you want is all the stuff that wealth brings. And, and every other desire brings with it a multitude of things you have to chase after to get that. Mm-hmm. But the only simple thing that a person can want is the good. And so, so far as I've read, the, the most beautiful image that he gives of it, I can share here. Let's see here. So, so one way that he defines the good is, is interesting in that he personifies it as a mother teaching a child to walk. And I'll just read the quote and see if this lands at all. Um, he says, as the good is only one thing, so it wishes also to be the only thing that aids a man. The good suckles and nurses the infant, rears and nourishes the youth, strengthens the adult, supports the aged. The good teaches the striving one. It helps him, but only in the way that the loving mother teaches a child to walk alone. The mother is far enough away from the child so that she cannot actually support the child, but she holds out her arms. She imitates the child's movements. If it totters, she swiftly bends as if she would seize it. So the child believes that it is not walking alone.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it's funny how much this is landing for for me outside of the the scope of this song or even this album. Yeah. Well, I guess it works with the album more so than what I'm seeing in just this song. Yeah, but for sure. Working towards the good. I, 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 I kind of am getting his general conceit here. In that, if that's all you're seeking, the other good things that would come if you were seeking wealth or if you were seeking honor or whatever else, it is. Mm-hmm. seeking good, you will actually obtain many of those other things, but you don't really care because all you're seeking is the good. But you're, it, it, I may be mishearing that, but
1: sure, no, I I think that's fair. Um, in other places, he talks about how seeking. Seeking the good for the sake of of material rewards means you actually wanted the material rewards, not the good or seeking yeah. the good because you want to avoid punishment isn't actually seeking the good because exactly that's just the opposite of it's like avoiding punishment is seeking some kind of pleasure in, yeah. in place of it. Right, right. Um,
0: but yeah, but
2: my my distinction is by seeking the good, those things may co- come along your way. It, it's sure. kind of like,
1: yeah, you know, well, I, and go ahead, Joel.
0: Yeah, oh, ahead. I was just going to I I was going to break some bad news to Nick cuz I know how much he hates Immanuel Kant, but oh, this is a very Kantian understanding of the good <laughs> <laughs> and ethics. <laughs> yep. yep. Which which Kierkegaard does have. I mean, you know, Kierkegaard's view of religion is is, you know, intended to reject Kant's view. Right. But Kierkegaard doesn't really reject, I mean, some Kierkegaard expert might disagree with me, but to my mind, Kierkegaard doesn't really reject Kant's understanding of, of the ethical, right? Which concerns the willing of the good. So right. for Kant, it's a similar you know, Kant is much more specific about what the highest good is. The highest good for Kant is the moral law, right? right. So uh, you know, you have to, whatever you do, it has to be. Uh, universalized as a good. So it can't be good in one context and not good in another. Right. So you can never, that's why you can never lie on Kant's view. And the second is that you can never use another person as a means to an end. So right. you you can only treat people as an end in themselves. Never so you so slavery, for example, is not not ethically sound <laughs> according right. to Kant. Um you know and and Kant I'm not saying Kierkegaard has that specific view of no,
2: no. But the good, I appreciate but the but he
0: context, but yeah. he also, uh, but he seems to agree with Kant that you can only will the good for the sake of the good itself. Right. You can never pursue the good for any external reason, including reward. So this is where Kant's view of religion comes in. Mm. You know, people think that. You know, a religious person is good because they want to go to heaven. Well, that can't be the reason that you
2: or they wouldn't pursue
0: know. the good. You, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you, you are not actually uh, uh, adhering to the moral law if if it's not strictly for the reason that you want to adhere to the moral law and that alone, right? Mm. And then for Kant, religion comes in as this sort of like vindication, right? So you you will the moral law, you act good. And then uh, in the end, you know, God will vindicate you for doing that, right? That's not the reason you're doing it, but simply because that isn't the reason you do it, God will reward you, right? God will sort of make all things right in the end and punish those who don't adhere to the moral law. And I mean, all of that Kierkegaard hates. He doesn't think that's the, the, the reason religion exists at all. But at least on the ethical level, uh, Kierkegaard and and Kant seem to be sort of
1: in in, in agreement there, right? Just yeah, to kind of right. like
0: add that little extra philosophical
1: explanation, um, I guess. And if yeah, I, if I can keep keep that train going, um, all the way back to uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to read just a, a passage from the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew chapter six. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more worthy than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothes himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what, we will, what will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Yeah. Yeah. I read that uh, focusing, especially on um, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's relevant to the conversation here, but also um, Mm -hmm. Kierkegaard has an entire other uh, discourse, one of his, what he called up, up discords, basically written sermons. Cause he had certainly was not going to be allowed in a church to speak from the pulpit. <laughs> no. um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he has an entire, he has an entire discourse uh, called the lilies of the field and the birds of the air or something like that. It's, mm. it's a really fascinating little book. Uh, I don't have it in front of me right now to quote from, but he gets into this thing in that book. I remember um, about seeking first the kingdom of God obsessively. I mean like he'll he gives a whole litany of things that you could be trying to do or wanting or seeking and he says no stop it just seek seek the kingdom of god that is all that matters. Then to mm-hmm. me that I hear that echoing in the back of him saying that you should only will one thing which is the good. Like I think for Kierkegaard probably all that mm-hmm. is is tied up together and maybe by the time I get to the end of this discourse I'll he may come back around to that anyway.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it.
1: That's a lot for a really simple chorus, but But it's so on the nose as a reference to this. It it
2: really is. He invited us to do it. Yeah. Like, honestly. (laughs) Aaron was asking.
1: Verse 2. And you'll,
0: and you'll remind me how I said you were a quiet bed in all my noise to rest, Well I was charming you at best. Can you remember, dear, my saying how my coming here was a terrible fall, as we crept like thieves along your bedroom hall? I'd come down and touch your eyelids, but if you stay up too late, I'll throw you back into the cupboard with all the chipped and dirty plates. Like the carnival game with the bottleneck and rubber ring, where even if you win, even then you don't win. Oh man, so much metaphysical physical conceit yeah. again in this. Yes. Um, the the line about the, the cupboard with the chipped and dirty plates is uh, a favorite of mine. Yeah. I think Same. out of all of Aaron's uh, writing, it's just a really interesting yeah image.
2: The, the cupboard with the the chipped and dirty plates, followed by the carnival game with the bottleneck and rubber ring, is like I.
0: Right, it's pairs so,
2: of concepts are so lovely so, to
0: me. Yeah, and it's I mean we're we'll, we'll maybe we'll save this for for when we get there. Let's start at
1: the let's, yeah, start, at so the let's top. start at the top. Okay. So to me, the the whole frame of this second half of the song feels like we've dropped right back into A to B life.
0: Exactly. Yes, one hundred percent. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, when, when you think of it in those terms, it's it's startling how much these lyrics could easily be from anywhere on that album.
2: Yeah, totally. They're just really well written. Uh, not that they weren't well written on A to B Life, but it just fits with the metaphysical conceit that he... Yes, yes.
0: There's yeah. there's a high, a, a, a maybe a slightly higher level of sophistication yes. in the use of metaphor. But the content in terms of, like, what this is who this is addressing.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's almost yeah, a retelling yeah. uh, of the, I never said that I was brave. Second, you know, that long mm. tire, like if you'll unlatch the window. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yes. Segments. Yes.
1: Right. But just the line, you'll remind me how I said you were a quiet bed and all my noise to rest. It just sounds so good. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. I yes. mean, well, oh, man. it
1: just, it lulls you in. Well, and, and it makes it, it Hit harder afterwards. The response: "Well, I was charming you at best. Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't exactly. mean it. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Right.
0: Which is which is interesting because I feel like, in you know, putting this in the context of A to B life, how could he say that he was charming her at best? I mean, that seems like a lie. Yeah. Well, to me, yeah. like that's like a good if point. that, they, yeah, like like mm-hmm. maybe so." That's, it's a lie if we read it as, you know, he was, all he was doing was trying to charm her, right? That that like maybe she understood all these or like may other kinds of motives or something. I, th-
1: I think the thing that makes it intelligible as a true statement is that it follows immediately after purity of heart is to want one thing. We've just heard mm. him say that. And so now the actual image of what, what he's recalling having said to her is, you were a quiet bed in all my noise to rest. And, and it's an interesting kind of breaking up the phrase. Like, you, you were a quiet bed in which I could rest because my life was surrounded by all this noise. So if if purity of heart is to want one thing, and if wanting anything other than the good is actually not wanting one thing, Uh, then she could not possibly be that quiet bed in all his noise because she is another thing that isn't the good.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Well, and like we talked about consistently throughout the A to B life season, uh, the conceit of that album is, you know, how how reliable was he as a narrator? So kind of to your point, Stephen... I take this as a little more honest mm-hmm. because of the honesty of you know doubting the direction his life is going in the first half of the song and all of the previous songs, frankly. But then yes, following that chorus, Oh to want one thing, oh the purity of heart. That leads us into like this is a little more accurate retelling. I don't I'm not necessarily saying it's a retelling of the same night. Sure. But it's conjuring up very similar images yeah. as we crept like thieves along your bedroom hall. That, that feels very much like, a, all right, we're on a stealth mission to <laughs> yes. hold, hold hands under the covers. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh,
1: who knows? Oh. But, uh. um, well, and and this line in the middle there, and you remember, dear, my saying, how my coming here was a terrible fall. So he's not saying that now. He's he's reminding her, remember when I said that my coming here was a terrible fall? Now, that's not yeah. a line we get in A to B life. But to me, what it brings back up is, um, oh, I think this is in be still child. Uh, I said my goodbyes to the sun, my little one so far away, how strange, how small we must become yet as familiar as yesterday. Now, nothing yeah. in those literal words talks about a fall, but it, it, in the last season I mentioned, <laughs> uh, I, I drug Dante into this somehow and talked about this sort of like <laughs> different circles of the medieval imagination of the universe and how saying goodbye yeah. to the sun put one at a lower position down closer in the sublunar sphere. I don't know what gibberish I was talking about, <laughs> but that I think about that line here. Um Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> well, and yeah. you know, it, it, anytime I hear the word fall, I think of um paradise lost. Sure. So that's, you know, there's a little bit to that too, you know, almost the anti-hero that is the, <laughs> that is Satan. Mm-hmm, and right. Is Lucifer in that, in that uh epic poem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In any case, I mean, like it, it speaks to the kind of unstable dynamic of this relationship yes. that by coming to here, wherever this hall is, they're creeping down. There's a terrible fall. Like, and him saying that out loud, like all that, I mean, we're, we're right back into the headspace of <laughs> that mm-hmm. album and how, mm-hmm. how messy all that is.
0: Well, well, yeah. I mean, I think there's so much in all of so, so many of the tracks on a to B life that, that are, The sentiments are simply summarized by this idea. My coming here was a terrible fall. I mean, (laughs) you could point to any number of moments on A to B Life that seem to at least suggest that idea.
2: Well, and that's a great callback to the sophistication of this. Like he's saying in a line in a song what it took him an album to say. In, in a sense, or, yeah. or an entire yeah. song to say at least, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is just like I had this feeling of a terrible fall. And that's backed up by, you know, Thieves conjures up stealth to me, but it also conjures up doing something wrong. Sure. Doing something against yeah. the good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's right. further contributing to that yeah. terrible fall image.
1: Well, and what a what a line out of this playbook. Mm hmm. I'd come down and touch your eyelids, like I mean, just yes. that. There's, there's, right there's out of so the much right <laughs> out of of it. this language about the the specific physical details of the human face. <laughs> yes.
0: Yep. 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 Right back. Yeah, to and it. that right, and that that too is like such a strong callback to A to B life, because I mean, we talked about the face, yeah. Right. <laughs> um. <laughs> you know, her right in the ghost. <laughs> she in the ghost. She's hiding behind her eyelids. Yeah. Um. There's, uh, uh, well, silencer. It's more, it's him, right, wanting a kiss below, above his cheek, but below his eyes. Yeah. You know, there's, um, yeah, there's so many references to that. Yeah, but trace um, of
2: dark red that used to be my face. Yeah, we right, the intimacy yeah. with the face yep. imagery is <clears throat> on full display here again.
0: So. Then it takes this really interesting turn, right? Mm -hmm. But if you stay up too late, I'll throw you back into the cupboard with all the chipped and dirty plates like the carnival game with the bottleneck and rubber ring where even if you win, even then you don't win. So I – yeah, I I was thinking – I was trying to figure out this image (laughs) so long today. I was spending so much time (laughs) just – So, I mean, one of the things that makes it complex and interesting is that it is a simile stacked on top of a metaphor, Uh right? So the, I'll throw you back into the cupboard with all the chipped and dirty plates is metaphorical language. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then he uses a simile. (laughs) I'll do that. Like the carnival like game, it's like, this, wait, yeah. hold on. <laughs> like, wait, I don't understand the chipped and dirty plates in it. So, and now you're throwing keep, this keep carnival moving. game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I understand. So the carnival game makes sense to me, right? Where even if you win, even then you don't win. Like I took my daughter to our county fair uh last summer it was her first time going to do a fair and so I went and played you know one of those games I think I was throwing darts at a balloon or something like that. And the thing is is that like it is I've never really done those kinds of games before. You Mm -hmm. know, and it's expensive. You you give like you know 10 bucks or something you get five darts. But the thing is like you can win one of the big prizes like pretty easily if you spend enough money. Mm-hmm. And that's the hole where even if you win, then you even you then, don't yeah. actually win. You know, so I won her some like, you know, pink unicorn that she she still loves. So I I was happy to spend the $20. Right. But it cost me $20. I could have gone and bought spent $20 at a, a toy store and bought her the exact same thing, right? It's like you're not actually winning. You're just buying the toy essentially. Yeah. Right, like, right. You know, um so so I get this idea that like this feeling of when, when if you're not just focused on this one thing, it may feel like you are getting what you want, but you are actually not getting what you want. I mean, that's kind of Kant's point and Kierkegaard's point. I I think right. um, With the pursuit of the good is that like only the actual pursuit of the good and nothing else can bring you the happiness, the win in other words Mm -hmm. that you're looking for. Right. But that doesn't, Help explain the chip, the cupboard of chipped and dirty plates. Well,
2: so let me add another layer of complexity to the bottleneck and rubber ring game, because that game in particular is one that's a classic example of being rigged.
0: Yeah, sure. So
2: even if you can't actually make the rubber ring go around the bottleneck. Exactly what you just said, Joel, like. Do you really win? Like, okay, cool, you got a stick of gum or like a, a finger trap or yeah, something right. like that, you know, yeah, unless you want right, the big right, thing. Right, right. But yeah, so I'm throwing you... So the way I've always parsed this, especially today, you know, listen to the song like 20 times in a row. It's literally like, if you're ever putting dishes away really quickly, and if you have your perfect setup where like the bowls stack together just so, and the plates stack together just so it's uh, they're chipped and dirty. Uh, They're chipped anyway, because of all the times you failed at making them stack just so. (laughs) Right. But when things actually line up effectively, I'm just parsing this in the physical state. Okay. No, no, that's fine. Yeah.
1: No, I think that's helpful to get that far.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, that does had trouble. Like what the heck am I supposed to get out of this? Even physically before we parse the metaphor at all.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, so I get I, – I could see that with the chipping, but that's still – that doesn't explain the dirtiness. And right. it also doesn't explain this as a, like, a kind of consequence of staying up too late.
2: Exactly. Like, what
0: <laughs> does staying up too late have to do with being thrown into the cupboard with right. all the chips and dirty plates? Like, well, and I, I,
2: don't want to t- I don't want to take it there, but we kind of have to, given the first half of this verse. Like, yeah. whatever they were doing – going down her bedroom hall, there's, yeah. a, there's a presupposition there a little bit of, and again, the intimacy of touching your eyelids. If only you did that for just a few minutes, but if you're staying up till, you know, three in the morning, the way teenagers do,
1: that's sure, taking sure. it
2: even, that's taking it a bridge too far, perhaps, for the, okay. the pres- yeah. presupposition of sure. this song.
1: Maybe. And, well, and and the <laughs> eyelids... Versus uh-huh. any other part of the face implies that her eyes are closed. So right, maybe yeah. he's like kissing her good night on the eyelids or something. Right. But if, but if she is not satisfied with that and decides to stay up longer, then we'd spin out into all the guilt of everything because those lines are back to back with each other. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I think you, yeah, I think you're right. I think you do have to read it somehow in the context of a feeling of guilt because of whatever staying up too late implies. Yeah. Um,
1: but even then, it's still. <laughs> well, it's,
2: it's a stretch for sure. So let's
1: bring but, this. Uh, let's bring this in line with another uh, lyric from this album back in Time Me up and Time Me" in the last song. Swept off like garbage in the alleyway and I need more okay. grace than I thought. Mm-hmm. In that song. Mm. This image, my sweetheart moved away. How did she move away? She was swept off like garbage in the alleyway. Now, just to meditate on that line for a second, the garbage in the alleyway is, is in an exterior space. It's out in the open. And, of course, this is, I think, talking about something to do with with the group of people sort of sweeping her off. Mm-hmm. Or him. he still implicates himself in that, but there's something more yeah. open-ended and public about it, whereas now we just had the image of them creeping around uh, the hallway. So it's a very closed, private, intimate physical space in the way that a cupboard is. I mean, it's a very small contained yes. space. And so now if you take this as a parallel image, throwing her back into the cupboard is like sweeping her in the alleyway, but in a much more confined area.
0: Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm following this now. I think, I think that that makes sense, right? It's Yeah. It's almost like, um, it, I mean, and we saw this with A to B Life, right? The way that the narrator in A to B Life would sort of like waver back and forth between these two ways of thinking, because in Tie Me Up on Timey, he seems to feel extremely guilty, right, about mm-hmm. this happening, um, and he's almost like he's he's upset about it, yeah. right? Right. But here, here, this is almost like back to that that old misogyny that sure. old mm-hmm. immature threat where he's like oh if you if you do this i'm going to you know i'm going to just like hide this part of me yeah. away i'm not going to tell anybody that this happened
1: right. i'm going to
0: throw you in that dark cupboard with all my other dirty secrets
1: well and <laughs> right yes and, and he could have easily had the line be but if we stay up too late he'll throw us back into the cupboard with all the chipped and dirty plates yeah. or something like, yes. you know, it could have been framed in a way right. that he was implicated with her and it's not the way that it comes across. It's not right. No. Exactly. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, that and almost just,
2: paternalistic perspective that he put himself in previously. Yeah. Huh. The,
1: the whole image, even before you get to the carnival game is, is one of such utter squalor. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Right.
1: Right. The idea of a cupboard full of plates that are not only chipped but dirty—like who puts away dirty plates? Like I can understand, right. okay. Like if 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 Emio you know, ceramic things get chipped over time, and if you don't have money to replace them, you hang on to the old ones until you can put something else in there or whatever. But to not wash them or to be throwing something in the cupboard in the first place—I yes.
0: so th- a
1: thought just occurred to me. This uh,
0: this maybe was only my experience, but I do remember my first apartment with roommates and, uh, you know, we were very bad at doing dishes. And when we were going to have company over, especially members of the opposite sex, rather Uh than do the dishes like a responsible person, (laughs) we would hide them (laughs) in the cupboards (laughs) because we just were too lazy. And so there's there's like this um you could read this almost as if like there's this implied third party right that's coming to the house, right? Yeah. So he's that that kind of further's the idea that this is something he's threatening to hide right from other people, mm-hmm. right? I'm like like one does <laughs> when they don't have time to clean up after themselves yeah. and they're going to uh, you know, just hide those chipped and dirty plates. I mean, because yeah, now that, I mean, when I think about it, I'm like, who has chipped and dirty plates? Well, when you're 20 living with three other dudes. You yeah, know,
2: yeah. You Cal- have chipped and dirty students.
0: plates. Well, yeah. and
2: that's, it's so funny that that's where your mind went, Joel, because right <laughs> when Steven said, who puts away dirty plates? I thought anyone who lives in a <laughs> punk house, like yeah, right. like yes, all my friends who lived in <laughs> punk houses, like did not right. care about that or some i think everyone individually did but no one cared enough to do it for the collective good um so yeah, yeah it's it's just the squall you know i can now smell like nicotine stained wallpaper and, and like <laughs> yeah. the smell of a dirty sink filled dish yeah or uh, a yeah. dirty dish filled sink filled yeah. sink right yeah yeah,
1: yeah that's hmm well, without solving the riddle of how these two images work together exactly, <laughs> just by points of comparison, I, I appreciate this this shape shifting image in the same way that I do the one in torches together about uh, the lampshade and then the turning back and forth and how there's just this like it's you're like just, a door on your hinges, right? Yeah, you're just moving into it and what yeah. the U is and the image shifts like mid sentence and you don't even get a chance to breathe yeah, yeah, yeah. before it happens.
2: Right. You know, in that way, that fluidity between the lines, I almost wonder, like, are we spending too much time trying to figure out the riddle when like, when you just let it wash over you, it, it kind of makes sense until you think a little too hard about it. If right. That, if that well, makes sense.
0: No, totally. And I think that that's, you know, my enjoyment of the lines, uh, yes. you know, before today was just to allow that image to wash over me. And then as I really started to think about like, okay, what am I going to say about this line? I like started to get kind of frustrated, like, man, I really cannot figure this out. But I think, you know, I I think that what we've discussed here is a plausible reading. I'm very curious. Anyone listening, please post on the Facebook group. What is, what are the chipped and dirty plates? What does that mean to you? (laughs) Yeah. If yeah. anything, yeah, maybe you're like you guys are thinking about this too hard, yeah. yeah. Um, which is, ba- I mean, that's this that's the podcast, so sure. like yeah. that's not ever going to stop.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> also that Dan, yeah. you guys are thinking about this too hard. That's the tagline. Yeah. <laughs> that's the
1: subtitle of this <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, well, if you just appreciate it, almost, <coughs> almost cinematically, if you can imagine a shot of somebody holding a chipped and dirty plate. And they're about to throw it Frisbee style into the cupboard.
2: Right. And then like as the
1: shot moves, you see a rubber ring like land on a bottle. Like, yeah, you can just let it happen to you. And that's I think that's actually honestly pretty intuitive as you're listening to the song in real time. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and, And I and I'm back with, you know, this idea, even if we win, even if you win, even then you don't win makes perfect sense with this pursuit of anything other than the one thing, which is the good. And of course, that's where he brings us right back, is this refrain that carries on through the rest of the song. Um, I'm curious, did you all, when you first started listening to this song, did you hear him singing at the end of this track?
2: I heard vocalization, but if I, to be completely honest, until today, yeah. I thought it was just Aaron going, <laughs> yeah. I had
1: no idea he was
2: saying anything, until today, yeah. reading the lyrics for, to prepare for this episode.
1: Yeah, same. Really? So just today? Because for me, it wasn't today, but it was a long time. I mean, I listened to this album for for a while, and I think it was at a show. It may not have even been like on the tour for this album. It may have mm, been a few years down mm. the road. Just because I saw him walk up to the mic and start singing at the end of the song. And and just... Ah. It, it brought the focal point of attention onto his mouth. And then I thought, oh, he's singing something. And then it, it was just this epiphany that this phrase, all I want is to want one thing was what he kept singing over and over again. I think the the music that plays at the ending of this song is so compelling that it it does something that almost no music can do. Now, psychologically speaking, when you're listening to any kind of recorded sound, as soon as a human voice enters the soundscape, our minds go immediately to it, because we're just hardwired to be interested in other people like ourselves. And so like we really want right. to know, what is that voice doing there? And somehow yeah. they managed to make music interesting enough at the end of this track that there is a human voice that it is entirely possible to miss. Um, and then once you hear it, you always hear it. It's always there. Um, but this line has become really significant to me. Uh, I've mentioned this before that that um, I've found myself in, in settings sometimes in churches where Uh, I feel out of place as as people are singing. And this is one of those lines that that I come back around to. And I just can Mm. sing endlessly uh, and feel Mm. sort of like I'm recentering myself in a way that feels authentic. Oh, that's
2: lovely.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Really.
2: Interesting uh, factoid, because I just had to think about this. Because every time they play Leaf, I find it... I I love the song live, but I always find it odd because... You know, thinking back to the first few times I heard this album, this was not what, like, I just wanted to get to Disaster Tourism because that's (laughs) such a catchy song. Yeah. So, like, I feel like my teenage self was doing myself a disservice to this song, but uh, according to Setlist FM, they have played it 129 times. Uh, Wow. Yeah, compared to In a Sweater Poorly Knit was 434. Uh, And wow, that's, like, so much more than the next highest, which is January 7th. 1979 at 322 wow. but anyway before i go down a
1: <laughs> but that's an admirable showing for this song in it, it really is totally it,
2: it really is for sure
1: here's my question because we've got through all the the words of this song is is there any connection between the first half of it and the second half of it right it's split with this chorus that doesn't repeat, <laughs> Oh, to want one thing, purity of heart is to want one thing, then there's this whole section that sounds like A to B life. What connection I is think, there to the beginning? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that there is insofar as – so a,
0: a couple ways to think about it, I think. One is, uh, you know, the stuff that he is strutting around singing about Yep, is – what is reflected in the second half of the song mm, yes mm-hmm. right because this you know he wrote this song when they were likely touring and playing a to b life yeah right so all of that strutting around singing about this broken ended relationship mm-hmm. right the sh- the shining one inside him was not saying anything through that yeah. which is in, an interesting you know if we read it that way that's an interesting point of reflection right because the piety of a to b life right or this kind of like perhaps self righteousness that we talked right. about right really comes through and it's like the narrator of a to b life thought that the shining one inside of him was was mm-hmm. saying something through that at times. Mm. But there are definitely lines in A to B life where it seems like Aaron is saying something that is not not that he thinks he's channeling God's voice or something like right. that, but like that 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 his his feelings, his sentiments are reflective of a a life in pursuit of God, right? And here right. he's saying, no how, however much I strut around, however loud I, say, I sing, I saying, God was not saying anything through that. Right. Right. Which is, an, I mean, that's a, a really interesting, I mean, you know, that's an interesting admission in yeah. some ways. And, it and totally the other, is. you know, the other way to, to read it, which I think is related, right. Is to just say that, you know, this is his pursuit of something other than the one thing. And, and what sort of ended up, you know, kind of his reflection on, hey, remember when you pursued that thing other than yeah. the purity of heart, other than the good, that this is what happened, right?
2: Yeah. Sure. What? To uh to misquote Arcade Fire, the song is in a way a reflection of a reflection. Because uh, mm. that's what we presupposed all of A to B Life was, was like reflecting upon a thing that had happened mm-hmm. you know, in a, mm-hmm. in a somewhat loose narrative structure this is him reflecting back on that and Joel, I 100% agree with you, the first half is essentially like a the trajectory of this album this analysis of what is it that I'm doing here? Why am I the front man of a band when all I want to do is go live this humble nameless life yeah. And then he's kind of thinking back to the time where that all went to shit. Yeah. <laughs> In yeah. Sense.
1: What if... I'm staring at this and, and thinking this for the first time. What if the first half of the song is addressed to the same person? I mean, what if this is this girlfriend, presumably real world human being, Amanda, if you fail to see you, a problem. if you, and then now yeah. frame the whole thing, if, if it's in her voice now, granted set aside the, the Leo Tolstoy reference, which I think is inescapable with licking honey from leaves. Yep. But if, if it's her that he's talking to, you fail to see a problem, which I find hard to believe. And then you could hang that on everything that happens in the second half of the song, right? Where <laughs> yeah. he yeah. seems to see right. a problem where maybe she doesn't. Um, and if you're okay, the, yeah, go, go with this, Nick.
2: I, I, I really like that. OK, so those first two lines, we kind of threw those away at the start, like, eh, he's talking to somebody. We don't know who. Well, I like that. Like, let's suppose it's Amanda or whoever the girlfriend is. I like assuming it's Amanda. So the Tolstoy reference just becomes this almost like a side, like it almost becomes a metaphor. It's
1: a shorthand for saying something else.
2: Exactly. What that is saying about her or, well... Is it is, is it saying something about her or about kind of the collective you hanging onto a relationship? Well,
1: let's, let's just say let's say it's about her. I mean, so if you, her, if if she's hanging from the branches, looking honey from the leaves, that's just a shorthand for saying if you're in this impossible place in life where you can't go back, you can't go forward,
2: eking out the only bit of sustenance and happiness you can from a
1: horrible situation, right? The, yeah. b- because then yeah. there's a quote, and the quote doesn't line up with like the collective you out there in the no. audience the hopelessness of living and the childishness of suicide it, that's not a normal thing you expect a mass of people to all feel and then say correct <laughs> together um
2: yeah so so I'm but she's that.
1: hanging from this branch licking honey from the leaves saying the hopelessness of living and you can read that as like she's just describing her own situation or whoever speaking could be describing their own situation but if it's her specifically speaking to him specifically. Put this in right side by side with other lines like "It's the devil, I suppose, but it doesn't matter much to me." Like these sort of dismissive things that that he reports her saying to him, the hopelessness of Almost living,
2: pathetic, yeah,
1: and the childishness of suicide. We didn't hang out on that line, and how yeah grotesque and unexpected mm-hmm. it is,
0: yeah.
2: Well, and that's yeah. why I think you're absolutely right that the Leo Tolstoy reference is correct because that is the dichotomy he's setting up in that quote, right? Like well, why am I here? But also I don't want to go fall into the dragon's right.
1: maw. Right. Yeah. But but why would you describe that as childish? I mean that that's like
2: Well, that's why I see your reading of the you as as Amanda yeah. as likely because she kind of called him a child right throughout the entirety of a to B life. Yeah. yeah. But, but then also, and he's the one fixated on suicide yeah. in a, uh, many of the other tracks of
1: this album. Well, In this album he is, but in a to B life it's, it's only by the slightest like implication, which Nick you brought out in the song silencer, which I had never yeah, yeah, heard right, in that right. song before. But if we yeah. pull this, this one back into, to that conversation, then it's like she sees something that he doesn't actually let out of the bag completely on that album and she's mocking him for it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, Mm. we were mean to her last season and we're getting mean again. But no, it's I, I see it as that he was. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But it
1: just right. Right. It puts a lot more pointed feeling Mm. on the first half of this song that it's all part of one continuing conversation
2: juxtapose that with the tone of how he's saying these words and the tone of the music though. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. I pointed
2: to, Like this is a softer half of the song, yeah. you know, in a sense, yeah. mm-hmm. but that's a horror that's a horrendous line. Yeah. You know, the, the yeah. longer I stare at it. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, so two, two thoughts about that. One is a little far flung, but it's the closest I could get to making sense of, of that phrase, the childishness of suicide. Because because suicide is a is a recurring theme in Tolstoy's confession, you know, I this I think this ties into that. But the the idea of it being childish is just is just bizarre.
2: While childishness is a harsh term for suicide, it's lacking in compassion anyway. A term I do hear often associated with suicide is selfish Hmm. it's a selfish way out you're not yeah you're not doing the work to you know because suicide impacts not just you right every single person it's it's like uh pick up sticks you know you you pick up one and all the others are impacted and so in a sense i liked what you said just a moment ago Stephen. of she's seeing something that he can't even fully admit yet in their relationship like she's seeing almost a suicidal tendency yeah um, in him
1: and a childishness to the, to his way he's handling all of it.
2: Yes. Yeah. When all he wanted was a Pepsi. <sighs> <Okay.
1: laughs> this is going to be lifted out of any sort of context. Briefly. This is, this is one, one statement out of Tolstoy's book. He says, were it not so terrible, it would be ludicrous with what pride and self-satisfaction. We like children pull the watch to pieces take out the spring, make a toy of it and are then surprised that the watch does not go. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. In that context, he's not specifically talking about ending one's life. He's talking about all manner of, I guess, deconstruction that people do in trying to figure out what their life is all about. Right. A word about the seeming incongruity between the tone of the lyrics of this song and the sound we talked about this drum beat that creates Mm -hmm, this this atmosphere throughout that doesn't necessarily match this kind of conversation that is emerging inside the song to me if you if you take it all down to this line right before the chorus so almost the dead center of the song however much i strut around just that Mm -hmm. line in itself and then you think about this yeah. music, not as necessarily even dance music, like people would go out and dance like with each other for fun. <laughs> right. But it's like yeah. a, it's like catwalk music. Like he's like he's yes, like putting yes, himself yes. on display. And then yes. all of a sudden Ricky's drumbeat is just the soundtrack of him shaking his hips. And mm. and, it, and yeah. then the music is adding this commentary to the whole thing that however heavy and serious these lyrics are, it's being thrown into the frame of him up there strutting around. And it sort of makes the point even more emphatically from start to finish in this track that he has in this one line in the very center of it, right, yeah, wow,
0: yeah, I think that that I mean that that definitely uh that resonates I, I think that that's right. I mean, it definitely sounds like strutting music um so yeah, I totally get that uh and then the kind of the explosion of the of the chorus, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that
1: yeah, it's really yeah, it's really interesting. Well and he's yeah, he's, one oh go ahead. He's almost like disarmed the power of the chorus that's about to come. Because the yeah. music breaks out of this strutting beat, it gets intense and impassioned, and he's shouting this line, Oh, to want one thing right after he said the line, However loud I sing, the shining one yeah, is who yeah, won't say anything. Right.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. That is true. Oh, man. Yeah, that's so interesting.
2: It, You know, it conjures up, just to keep going back to A to B life, it conjures up, you know, the repeated lines that, that we get at the end of several tracks mm-hmm. on that album. Just like, I have nothing else to say, so I'm going to get stuck on this one line and just continue on, yeah. even if that's no, no, no um, at one point, yeah. right? And despite all of the conceit I've just set up, I'm still mm-hmm. going to do the thing like I have to perform. Yeah.
1: One of the yeah. things I, I wanted to ask you guys about is just the ending of this song. Like others on this yeah. album, there's the final line and then there's the musical play out. And in this case for all three of us at various points, uh, and I'm sure for many, many of you listening, it really feels like an entirely instrumental coda at the end, even if through about half of it, Aaron is singing this line. All I want is to want one thing.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Do you guys feel like the song is about to ramp into a third verse?
2: I have at times Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. And if if disaster tourism wasn't such a stark beginning, Mm -hmm. i.e. like it has this vibe in and of itself that that would almost be a moment where it's like, oh, those are, it's one long song
1: mm-hmm.
2: instead of two medium length songs. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Just to me, yeah. it sounds like the song is, is doing kind of a developing instrumental bridge thing. And then there's, yes. da, 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 and then like they land on this downbeat, which could just as well right. just be the start of another verse, except that it just ends up being one cycle through this groove. And then the song's over. Yes. They just play it right, out. Right, right, right. right and that right, that itself yeah. you know w- with a line in the very song um, however much you talk however well you talk you make a certain sense but still it's only stupid talk right i mean like the what can be conveyed by language is is continually questioned <laughs> in these lyrics yeah. and so yeah. it's like the band is like giving him an opportunity okay what else you got like we'll set you up we'll play this thing and then he's just gone like he's nothing left to say
2: in in that way there's a certain level of it obviously it isn't improvised they play it just about exactly the same every time they do but it feels like there's some level of improvisation going on yeah like it's Mm. here you go we've given you the space say what you're gonna say but i mean literally a third of the song is essentially without lyrics Mm. yeah because it's almost an effect rather than a and we see this a lot in especially untitled like just the burying of what it is he's actually saying yeah. among the mix yeah. of the rest of the song
1: and, yeah and it's not impossible to imagine that in the rehearsal phase for this as mm-hmm. as the rest of the band working out their parts they came up with this transitional music which is what plays at the same time as him singing all i want is to want one thing. And then they set it up with the intention of like, OK, we're going to go into the next set of lyrics here. Maybe we'll actually hit a second chorus this time, Aaron. And <laughs> and they're like, OK, we're going to play this part. Like, what's what's coming up? And he's like, no, I got nothing.
2: <laughs> yeah. But in a sense, that's it's it's almost better that way. Mm-hmm. Because mm. of the conceit we've we've seen set up yeah. like that whole second verse is setting up the fact that like, I only have so much to do. Like he, he struts around clearly. Like it's a very dancey track start to finish. Then he sings quite loudly, just a couple lines after calling out that that's what he does Mm -hmm. and nothing like he isn't achieving the outcome still. So then that causes him to reflect upon this event that happened again. And then he has nothing. Yeah. Nothing left to say. Yeah.
1: All he has left is to want to want one thing yeah yes yes so i have a a proposal that i just want
0: to kind of float out there yeah. now that we're a third of the way through the record and i want to just see how this lands with with you guys um it seems to me so you know Stephen, at the beginning uh I I can't remember which episode it was, but you you kind of made this point that like okay, A to B Life is a breakup album about a, a relationship with a girl, yeah. and that that Catch for Us the Foxes is a breakup album about a, the relationship his relationship with the church. Yeah. And I do think that, that still that still holds. I'm wondering though, a, kind of as especially with these last two songs, but, but I think the first two songs could fit this too. It almost feels like there's a kind of like philosophical, ethical argument or dialogue that's being developed as well in the album. Yeah. That, um, that the narrator or Aaron or however we want to talk about it uh, is, is trying to like come up with this kind of coherent ethic that is, more sophisticated than whatever he had in A to B life, right? Which mm-hmm. you know, we—I mean, we talked about the contrast between the aesthetic and the ethical life, right? The and and you know, we're, I'm kind of throwing the term around ethical, I guess, more loosely here, right? It, I, <laughs> if I'm if I'm going to be a good academic, I should square this with how we were talking about the ethical yeah in yeah, the yeah. previous <laughs> season right which is different right in the previous right. in 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 a to b life when we're talking about b right the and the ethical life what kierkegaard is talking about in that book right is um is marriage yeah. right is to to be ethical is to uh you know be a contributing member of society essentially right um and uh and and to take the you know to, to will the good is to to take the good and the bad together I mean that's something that we've actually not talked about yet right we at the end of um of that text right of either or uh, Kierkegaard says that the that the the deficiency of the aesthetic right is that it just isn't concerned with good and bad mm-hmm. right or good and evil mm-hmm. right. And the ethical is not willing only the good, but to it's the ability to to hold good and bad together and then make the ethical choice, right? To to will the good, right? Yeah. Um, And I mean, I'm I, (laughs) we're opening a whole can. I'm not saying Kierkegaard has to be like consistent through all his writing. Philosophers are almost never. (laughs)
1: consistent through all their writing. Well, and he hedged his bets by having having pseudonyms for half of it, and so yes, he can always say, well, yes, that wasn't yes. me Ugh. saying that. Right, it
0: was <laughs> Johannes de Silencio, or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, but but the... Uh, I, I'd be curious, Stephen, to hear more about, like, as you, as you read uh, more of this other text yeah. where he's talking about the good, talking about the good. If he ever goes back to that idea, right. right? That the willing of the good is this like recognition of uh you know taking the good and the bad together and then choosing the good. Yeah. Right. It can't just be like a, a straightforward I'm gonna you know, because only ever choosing good or you know, it's almost as though like that's just a kind of a straightforward pursuit of pleasure or something. Like that yeah you know the aesthetic is just like
1: yeah anyway. i'll keep you posted as it goes i mean the one thing that i've observed so far Thanks. on that front is that part of willing only the one thing which is the good includes wanting to be punished when you do something wrong as opposed <laughs> to wanting to get <laughs> caught no so I mean, let me say that again he said if you if you only will the one thing then when you do something wrong you desire to get the just reward for doing that wrong thing whereas if you want, will several things then what you want is to not get caught yeah right but to will the one good thing you you desire what is coming to you justice yeah, yeah okay
0: yeah wow. so yeah so it'll be interesting i mean you know when we talk next time about disaster tourism i think that there's you know it's almost as though uh, Aaron's trip to Amsterdam right provides this occasion for ethical further ethical reflection right where he's continuing to work out this yeah um, this ethic uh, you know that he's trying to uh, yeah just figure out I guess for himself
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah. Well, join us next time. Yeah. Disaster tourism. See ya.
2: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to that episode of Us Without Them. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify, as this helps us grow our listenership and get to more folks who are either desperately missing me without you or just getting into the band follow us on Instagram and Facebook at us without them pod and be sure to join the Facebook group us without them podcast where we keep the conversation going all the time we're also on Twitter at us without them. and be sure to share us on your favorite social media platforms if you have any longer form comments or private comments that you want to make you can email those uh, questions and comments to us at us at gmail.com can also leave us a voicemail at 405 foxes 05 that's 405-369-3705 and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the podcast you can also visit our website uswithoutthempod.com uh, where we'll have episode descriptions blog posts and show notes we'll also have links to references such as other music and books that we talk about throughout the podcast bye and see you next time where we'll find out why she carries a candle at midday.